Welcome. Welcome to, to the, the ABC, ABC of Africa. Is it it is be like that? the best show. Today we have <laughs> many interesting things for you. Today is Let's the start. <laughs> On letter M. In Should Greek? we explain, uh, as always, what is the concept of the show? Yeah. By the way, we are exactly in the middle. Really? This is our 13th show. And we have 26. Lucky M, as they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, The middle. Yes, middle ground. Mediocrity, you know, one of mediocrity. my favorite things. You hate mediocrity, right? Um... And uh, yeah, this. How do you feel about reaching uh, halfway? I'm a bit melancholic, I would say. Did you expect that we will come that far? Never. When we started, how many shows did you think uh, we will do until we are bored? Three. Three. <laughs> wow, that's like even less than what I would imagine. What did you expect? How many? I don't know. Six. Six. Eh? Six, seven, something like this. But here we are. On the 13th show. And how many listeners do we have? Less than 13. <laughs> to say, yeah, to put it boldly. Um, but uh, do we mind that we don't have many listeners? Sometimes in the night before going to bed, I'm like... Why do we have so few listeners in our podcast? Yeah. You know, some people think it's because we have this bi-weekly arrangement that is not very regular, but not very uh, irregular either. I don't know. I, I like the idea that it's <laughs> it's like not very regular, which would help, but neither very irregular, which would also help, apparently. Yeah, because it was like, if it was at once every two months, it would be like an event. People would be like, oh, they have a new show. But now, it's not not like that. Why don't we just say that we don't have so many listeners because it's um, a very it's difficult a bad show. show. It's a <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say it's a bad show. <laughs> it's a difficult show. It's a demanding show. We have international listeners. We have people from Australia. Exactly. Like two. Two people from Australia. Like, but they every every two weeks, they, they tune, tune in. in. Yes. And we have people from, from the UK. And, and from Germany. From Germany, from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. A very problematic country, but nevertheless. And one listener from the States. Yes. So it's not bad. Yeah. We cover all the time zones. I mean... Not all Sometimes zones. A lot. So, okay, should we start the... With a word. With the words. Mm-hmm. So today we discuss letter, uh, words and concepts starting from M. M. M is a nice letter. Yeah. Very many things start from M. And the first of them is... Memes. Memes. Okay, memes as in like internet memes, right? Internet memes, yeah. Because we had this discussion the previous week 
about meme culture? Um, okay, what do we... You are a memeologist of some sort. I am... I don't know if I am a memeologist. I'm definitely um, an admin of a meme page. And a fa fan of memes. And a big fan of memes, yeah. Um, what is it that interests you about memes? Such a simple question, yet so difficult to answer. I mean... There is something really attractive in memes. That's why so many people like follow meme pages and share memes. Uh huh. Um, and the obvious answer is it has to do with the medium itself. It's like really easy and it has an immediacy, let's say, that you just like see it, you, you laugh or you think, haha, and somehow you have the need to share and replicate the meme structure and stuff like that. A bit like uh, playground cocaine. humor. A bit like cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah, a bit like playground humor. Like children uh, mm. finding a funny thing and like repeating it ever, over and over and over and over and over again. Mm. I mean, the idea of memes, as you know um, from our previous discussion, mm starts from this idea of the replicability of of human behavior uh, Richard Dawkins uh, and, and all this idea of how cultural traits are being um, replicated and how some of them become popular and some others don't be uh, they don't become as popular um, so yeah basically it, it, I think it's a good analogy to say it's it's like children's behavior because I think the the internet uh and the the networked kind of like the social networks and um operate in a very simplistic way when it comes to kind of social information i mean i myself i don't like so much the memes um why no 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 i, should, I shouldn't put it like this i don't like many meme pages or uh, types of memes mm -hmm. i find <sighs> I mean, okay, you will probably say that it's not like this. I find that they lack a little bit um, self-reflexivity. Oh. You will say that, no, it's self-reflexivity is at the um, core of meme cultures. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too, totally sure about that. I mm -hmm. think maybe they, there is a self-reflexivity, a very first level of self-reflexivity from the very idea that it is a meme. Mm-hmm. But I rarely see meme pages that have to do with who is writing them. So there is a self-reflexivity, like a shared self-reflexivity, a shared reflexivity, mm -hmm. um, like a Luther Blissett thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody is part of the meme culture. But I rarely see memes being about the person who writes them in a way mm, that's not quite true though uh, because now there are many uh, meme pages and <clears throat> especially on instagram there are many meme uh, admin admins who have a very distinct tone of voice um, and they have a personal narrative that comes through uh, the work so it, it 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 i guess it oscillates between two 
things. On one hand, it becomes this like impersonal voice of the crowd. On the other hand, you have cases where it's a very distinct kind of author behind the memes, um, and you follow them as you would follow, I don't know, a blogger or um, or a journalist. Um, uh, but it's but the, the 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 means of expression is much more like obviously abstract and. I guess, uh, yeah, in that sense, I guess it's like everything. It's like another medium that mm-hmm. has populist things and has complex things. It's true. Um, but even the, the complex things and the nuanced things are obviously reduced to a more kind of... The, the, the language of under advertising, for example, like a more much more like... Uh, um, yeah, short and direct and um simplistic it's, it's, in a sense maybe it's I funny for me i'm i'm very much uh i i think it memes uh and lots of things that are happening in the in, in uh, at the moment mm-hmm. are almost like a revenge of the text yeah and it's funny that i think your generation is much more text uh, attuned than my generation and it's mm-hmm. strange because they say that the books are dying and mm-hmm. this and that but actually i really think it's like that i really think that mm. there is much more text around it's quite impressive because i think the idea of mobile media and these new developments in in media cultures all the all the kind of uh, predictions would be that oh now we have visual uh, communication that is much stronger than text um, and we will not have books as you said we will only have you know videos and images and now we see memes everywhere and they are like basically a hybrid medium that has lots of text um, and I don't know it's quite it's quite striking uh, to see this as you said the revenge of text and I'm not sure if if because these you know these media cultures are so ephemeral uh, so I'm not sure if this will be the case for the next, I don't know, 10 years. But right now, that's what we experience, I guess. Should we move into a song? Yes. Okay. A newborn child has no teeth. A goose has no teeth. Rose has no teeth. This lasts at any rate, one would like to say. It's obviously true. It is even sure than that a goose has none, and yet it is none so clear. For where should the rose teeth have been? The goose has none in its jaw, and neither, of course, has it any in its wings. But no one means that when he says it has no teeth. Why suppose one were to say, the cow chews its food and then dunks the rose with it. So, the rose has teeth in the mouth of a beast. The rose has teeth in the 
So we're back. Hello, this is the ABC of Ita. Yes, great show. One of my favorite podcasts online. Do you ever listen to our show? Sometimes. Oh my God. You don't listen to our show. I do, I do. Have I you listened to all of our shows? Um, I skipped like Jay because it was terrible. What was Jay? I don't know. It was bad. Was it? Yeah. I didn't I didn't like it. It's a very difficult letter, isn't it? It's so difficult, unlike M. Should we uh, take another word then in M? Yeah, why not? And the next letter for M is... <laughs> Modernism. Whoa. That's not like a simple term to how decode. Are gonna, how are we going to decode that in five minutes? I don't know. Maybe we should just... like. Share personal stories. Personal stories of modernity. I'm going to <laughs> come out. I think you have more personal stories. I'm going to come out as a former modernist junkie. What? How is that even possible? Uh, look. Tell me. I grew up in a small town. <laughs> where modernism <laughs> thrives. Where uh, there was no such thing as modernism. Right. Um... I grew up in a small town and I felt very um, lonely, I guess, and very mm -hmm. uh, like not finding people who are similar or whatever. And so I um, thought that um, um, art, um, whatever that means, music also and uh, cinema and stuff like that are a way out from uh, a kind of... Uh, 
small town Greek misery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were. Yeah, in absolutely. Sense. Like yeah. I, in my uh, school teens, I guess I was totally isolated from the world, more or less, listening to music and watching films and stuff like that. Okay. Not so much reading books, and I think that has to do with the fact that I grew up uh, yeah. in a house with a very oppressive, huge library. Okay. Um, we have this bookcase, which is from from the floor to the ceiling with books. That's a bit intimidating. Really intimidating. So I, I think I you know, have a, a natural fear of many books next to each other. <laughs> um, but, but um, yeah, so, so I, I moved at some point to the UK to study. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way, if you uh, have this trauma of um, no one understands me aesthetically, yeah. somehow you are, you are uh, automatically magnetized to modernism okay because it is um it offers solutions i'm not gonna sometimes very difficult solutions very yes solutions. I, s- i saw you smiling there <laughs> but it offers solutions it's like it's not it's not a because when you are you know when you are desperate and you need some aesthetics to grab onto you're not gonna grab onto postmodernism mm-hmm. because this is not gonna help you This is not going to give you some mm-hmm. sort of stability that you need. Mm-hmm. When you're a, a kid and you, you want to say, I am not like you, I'm like this, you need something stable. You need to talk about quality. You need to talk mm-hmm. about complexity. You need to talk about geometry. You, know, you, need, you need to talk about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You cannot talk about uh, self-reflexivity and uh, relativism and things like that. I you see. understand? This yeah, is yeah, yeah. something that you much more nuanced that you would get much later in life right and so um i moved to the uk and i discovered uh experimental film and uh experimental theater and stuff like that okay look i never liked uh minimalist painting or stuff like that Mm -hmm. but i liked uh, fairly modernist uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. serious works i would say um and really liked like um i remember going to uh, underground uh, cinema from the American 60s screenings and crying, like, they really touched me. Um, But what saved me from modernism... (laughs) Yes. uh, Because first, I I would say, modernist initially saved me from the small town. Mm -hmm. But modernism generally gives unhappiness. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Modernism is, uh, you know, the only natural result of modernism is suicide. Okay. Or uh, <laughs> becoming a dictator or something like this. There is no modernism has a tendency towards the Sublime. catastrophic totality. Okay, yes. So e- either you are, uh, you know, Jackson Pollock, you finish it. All mm-hmm. or m- one of my favorite filmmakers, Paul Sharitz, also killed himself and so on, mm-hmm. and very many. Mm-hmm. Or you commit uh, atrocities. Atrocities. Uh, th- this is the only the only way if you are into it. Mm-hmm. If you're not a phony. Yeah. Um, so it's a very unhappy kind of place to be, 
Um, and what saved me is a sense of humor and campness, which I always had. Mm-hmm. So I used to, in my PhD, which was still within, uh, we're talking now around 2006, 7, 8, that kind of territory. It was ar- around that time I was um, doing my modernist films for my uh, dissertation, PhD dissertation. And... Um, and my ex then used to always say, but you are so invested in humor and you like so many funny things. Mm-hmm. How come your films are always so heavy and serious? Ah. And I have to say that Roland was very, very, very... Like in hindsight, I realized that he was one of the people that really told me some things that were to stay with me for years. much later, mm-hmm. for years. Like one of the things he said to me is the only way you will produce ext- you know, your best work is if you bring all the different elements of you together, mm-hmm. which in many ways Fita is. I see. So, um, but I didn't, back then I didn't, I, I, you know, I, I reacted and I was like, I, you don't understand and so on. Like I cannot, and I think there was also, in my relationship with modernism, there is also a, a bit of an internalized homophobia, internalized difficulty with Greekness and so on. So mm-hmm. I had... All these things separated. In England, I was a British Filmmakers uh, Institute um, mm-hmm. associate doing modernist serious films. And in Greece, I was like a clown. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when I met you, or maybe slightly before that, my I started thinking, but do I really have to always make art which is not about fun? Mm. And which is not about... Uh, and 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 back and then I had this you know I was in this band called Disco Boy and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and so the notion of fun and self reflexivity and meta and trash and camp were was there were see you know coming in but modernism is a very hard thing to like so that's why I'm saying I'm you know I'm coming out now as anonymous, a former uh, <laughs> former modernist modernist anonymous and I think it's the same for in a way maybe other um, you know, with other artists, maybe it wouldn't be called modernism, but I think this notion of the of proper research and I what it constitutes research behind an artwork, I think is a real problem for artists. Like how to be a rigorous artist. How to be a rigorous artist, yes. It is a bit confusing because I think, okay, you use modernism in a way that I, I completely understand, but historically, you know, there are all these discussions about what is modern, what is postmodern, if there is such thing as postmodern, etc. But I think... uh, But I think, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, of course I know things are blurry and so on, but, you know, yes, one can say that uh, modernists are not the most self-reflexive people. I see what you mean, yeah. You know, these are things that uh, really start coming into play from, you know, post-structuralism onwards. And I like how you use modernist to, to, to identify, for example, like some strands of like noise music and serious music. Absolutely, and, yes. And I think it's, 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 it's a good thing to, 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 to not pretend that, oh, we are past this, you know, analytical category. I think it's still useful. No, absolutely re- useful category. Absolutely. Modernism versus postmodernism. Is an absolutely. I mean, one could say I don't because know because people are like, especially if you come from the humanities or from the art theory, you're like, you never touch these terms because they are like so confusing. Dated or something. And yeah, and and there are so many open debates. You may have noticed that postmodernism is not something I used very much. Yeah. yeah. So I don't necessarily say it's modernism versus postmodernism. Yeah. 
what I describe is what I once called the ghost of modernism. I see. That's actually much more useful because it's not about identifying with it, but how you deal with this legacy. Yeah, absolutely. The ghost of modernism is particularly in places like um, Berlin, I would say. This is very difficult. Mm -hmm. How they are attached to minimalism and are afraid of kitsch or if it's kitsch, is it the good kitsch or the bad kitsch and so on. Despite the fact that I think some of the biggest camp masterpieces have come from, from Germany. Germany yeah. Absolutely, but at the moment still there is very much this ghost of modernism. Yeah. I mean, my personal story does not does not cross through modernism in any way because I'm I was in the little town, I was a little town boy. Um but then I found the internet. So from me. Baroque, you went directly into postmodernism. Yeah. Like most of Greece. There was like a natural <laughs> progression. The Greek story, <laughs> the Hellenic story. Because there is no such thing as Greek modernism. It lasted like one year and yeah. had like four buildings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Greek modernism, I guess, is a whole discussion in itself that I'm not quite qualified to have. Uh, but yeah, for me, this kind of idea of having like. Um, a new lang- a new aesthetic language that is, has like internal consistency does not resonate with me. Yeah, you don't understand it. I mean, for me, when I discovered, for example, there was this magazine called Leonardo, mm-hmm. which is about uh, art, philosophy, science, yeah. you know, all together. I know Leonardo. And yeah. I st- when I started getting into synesthesia, it's very addictive, this idea that you can you know, supposedly anyway, regardless of language barriers and whatever, Mm. you can cause emotional reactions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it is very very interesting. And I think we can still study um, structuralism and and learn things, obviously. Like, I'm not saying, oh, this is all garbage. Um, But still. Let's say the totalitarian aspect doesn't resonate with you. Yeah. Uh, um, shall should we, we should on? we should we go into a song? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here's a band that takes a different tack. The Marina Swingers. This one's for you and respect. 1982. Oh, this one's for you. When you say but, you've said a lot of things your wife doesn't want to hear. When you say but, you say you're anxious to make it with the king of beers. When you say but, you said the brew that makes your neighbors run in fear. When you say but, you said the beer that makes your urine come out oh so clear. There is no other one that tastes so good with cheese. That's so much fun with sex Why crawling on your knees When you say bye Wiser You've said it all When you say bye Wiser So we're back With the ABC of Ita I always play nice music I have to admit. You always play nice music uh, This is the ABC of Ita Not always Because there are some episodes like K You didn't like so the music so. Okay um, <laughs> it's random letters I'm, I'm uh, spitting out. Peter thought that the music in K was very good, so one of the ten 
people of the audience. Follow the show. Um, so, let's yeah. take a word. Okay. The next word is? The next word is Macedonia. Whoa, are we going to get political? Let's get political. I don't even know what to say about that. To me it's, it's like so funny. Like if we talk to a Greek audience, it would be such a different, uh, I think, discussion. Because for many people from abroad, this whole debate makes zero sense. Yeah, anyway. no sense. Um, but what can we say about Macedonia? I mean, we both grew up during a time that this became an issue. You more than me. No, m- yeah, me more than you. Um, that it became a huge issue. A huge issue, like a defining There was issue. like a, a demonstration of like a million people. Oh my goodness, in Thessaloniki. In Thessaloniki. So the worst uh, town in uh, the northern hemisphere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the worst. Let's, let's be... Because there is also Austin, for example. <laughs> in the northern <laughs> And <hemisphere>. Geneva. <laughs> And Helsinki. Helsinki. <laughs> anyway. Um, Don't get me started about Helsinki. Let's uh, go to Macedonia. Though. Yes. So there is this Yugoslavia dissolves and there are these new countries. One of them is called Macedonia, mm-hmm. as it was called when it was united. Mm-hmm. But then... The Greeks are like, what the fuck? I didn't know this was called Macedonia. For uh, a century? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? I don't like this. Yeah. Macedonia no. is Greece. It's Greece, yes. Alexander the Great... It's Greece. Everything is Greece. Kimono is Greece. (laughs) So it's like these uh, opportunistic politicians and church leaders who want to build a career out of this. But honestly, now you want us to describe the Macedonian issue. A little bit, very briefly. They make it into this huge issue and somehow the people of Greece really rally behind this cause. And then, for 20 years, Greece denies Macedonia the country the, the right my, to use a name. My main problem uh, in this situation is not so much the idiocy of Greeks, to be honest with you. What is it? Is what I always try to make clear that is a real problem is the legacy of philhellenism. Right. Because instead of having some people saying to the Greeks, Get over it. Yeah. Because whatever, Macedonia is something from a very long time ago and in the current borders of countries, you both share this name. So get over it. Yeah. Uh, they started uh, supporting Greece in many ways. Uh, being like, oh yeah, Alexander the Great, of course he was Greek. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, what does it even mean? Yeah. So um, I think yeah the 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 problem is you know I mean okay Greece is uh is uh is full of idiots but uh, that's not uh, for me that's not the main pro the main issue mm. the main issue was that you know the larger uh, entities like the European Union did not uh, react thankfully then the, mem- the thank- thankfully <laughs> then the referendum the memorandum came and. Finally, things are back into place. <laughs> And Germany is a leader of Greece as it should be. But until then, they should have done something else. I, I think what I'm trying to say is that uh, the European Union would be nice if it was a little bit more ideologically harsh. 
<laughs> Very nice yeah. position. No, less financially so, more ideologically so. Yeah. Like, or or law-wise, I don't know. Like, sorry, but you if you want to be uh, in a civilized union, you have to be civilized. <laughs> and uh, not allowing uh, a place which used to be called like this to be called like this again after it's not part of a... You union. know, a union is uncivilized. Yeah. So that it's it's this is this is the you know for me it's a legal thing. It should have been a legal thing. The fact that it became a moral thing mm-hmm. shows that we are going the wrong way. Mm. And I think Greeks generally need law. Very not, nice. Not positions. morals. Not morals. Today, after the modern segment, you are yeah <laughs> turning they, into yeah they need the. Someone to tell they need like a king, basically. Mm. They can only operate under kings. Who would tell be a good them king for that this? Tell them, look, it's not a question of uh, choice. It's yeah. a question of application of what I have decided. You, Philiropolis. I, I wouldn't be king. It's not my favorite. King's hand. King's like a <laughs> <Puppet>. advisor. <laughs> the advisor of the king. <laughs> but anyway, did you want to say something else about the Macedonian? No, issue? I'm trying now. Really I'm a- trying to think who would be a good king for Greece. Like, who would I support as king or queen? Who would you support as the queen of Greece? Yeah, Yana Angelopoulou the Skalaki. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yes, she is perfect. Yes, and and you know what? I think in the Macedonian issues, she would be reasonable. I don't think she would be or. Actually, if you want me to be even more extreme, I would say Queen of Greece should be Nana Muscuri. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. She said about the Macedonian issues, she said... Uh, Whatever. Yeah, go, go, grow out of it. What the fuck is this? And people were really upset. Yeah. Nana Muscuri for Queen. Yeah. She's like totalitarian enough, populist enough. She has the, 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 the look. She has a very iconic look. Come on, that's really important. She's a, she should be the queen of Greece. Yeah. It's quite well, she's I mean she's financially a little bit um, with Dodging. the neoliberal shit. I mean if you have a king, <laughs> I think you're past the point of <laughs> aiming towards communism. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> Although you never know, you, you never know. know. What yeah. about those uh, communist uh, like uh, Kim Jong Un and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Or Tito. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, I didn't see this discussion going that direction. Um, but we are like talking, it. after all, about former Yugoslavia. So I like it. I like it. I like Subconscious. Uh, this Muscuri-like dictator idea, I really support. Um, and she starts from an M. Muscuri. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, I don't know what else to say about Macedonia, I honestly. Think you've said enough. Okay. Let's go to the next song. song. Thank you. 
So, we're back to the ABC of Ita. ABC of Ita. So, um, should we take another word? Yes, please. Should I give you the word? Yes. The next word for the... The next word is mansplaining slash manspreading. Whoa, that's a difficult How one. How can we do that? That's impossible. We cannot do that by default. Yeah, because whatever we do, we are like... We will be mansplaining. But if we stopped here, it would be like we don't support the term that we're being ironic. Let's go to a song. No, I don't <laughs> want to do that because this would be like uh, like we're making fun of the term. No, I'm not making fun of the term. I really believe it's a problem. and Although I've seen many men actually using it lately on the internet. Really? Oh like shit! As a, as a, oh, you're being smart ass. Like you're mansplaining. Like if you are, if you are, if you are like an expert on some topic, and someone else explains to you, I've seen people using, oh, now you're mansplaining. Like using your kind of superficial knowledge plus confidence coming out of your identity, uh-huh. in order to explain something to me. So it's becoming kind of gender neutral. I'm not sure it's good. It's becoming gender neutral. Shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. Generally, when men uh, appropriate feminist uh, stuff, it's a disaster. Catastrophic. Right? Catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know about the mansplaining. I don't think it's the same kind of thing. Mansplaining has a very specific power dynamic going on, whereas mansplaining sometimes, sometimes the class kind of situation and the race situation is more complicated I think in uh, in man spreading I don't know I've, I've, I've read articles about like black men and working class men man spreading and being kind of told off by white middle class women and in New York where it's it's become illegal man spreading generally I don't like white women I don't think you should be <laughs> saying that. That's not your place to to make to do this politics. I mean, I mean, I don't like the way like the Hillary feminism. I don't like the way the way of the new feminism personally. That is like no, I don't look. I, I don't, don't understand your point. Now. I don't mind the Me Too. I think the Me Too is a is a it's really good thing. Yeah. Is an essential thing, but I find that there is a huge lack of self-reflexivity in the new white feminist movement. Right. Um, which might be, I don't know, which might be useful because if someone needs to uh, severely destroy a rotten system, yeah, perhaps they need the force of a non-self-reflexive movement. Like, yeah. You know what you understand what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, destruction versus yeah, yeah. Uh, creative like, construction. It's let's also say. like a it's like a gesture. Like when you want to to to, to, to strike, you cannot be self-reflexive because yeah, it takes and, away from and similar to discussions about violence and so on. Like yeah. you know what? Right now, I can't think if I want the world with violence or not. Right now, I want some violence to destroy a particular system yeah. and then we can discuss it. So I'm, I totally understand the need for that and I support all mm -hmm. this. <clears throat> In interpersonal relations, 
I find it very difficult, which might be okay, you know. I mean, if I, if, uh, I find it uncomfortable, it might be the time for us to, f- to feel uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I think this discussion would be different if Hillary have actually has actually won the the had actually won the the election, right? Because then we would speak about something that was that became, you know, so majoritarian that actually took power. But still, Hillary lost, and she lost uh, against. Uh, but what Trump. I'm saying is that you know it's it's important to uh, while. For sure, uh, um, talking about the importance, the absolute importance of Me Too and so on, mm-hmm. I imagine that you can we cannot leave out. And of course, it's not like I don't talk about things like that in Facebook and so on. I don't think it's my place. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I imagine that it's, you know, one should take into consideration that very many... Uh, extreme right-wing uh, groups in uh, uh, Europe at the moment have women for leaders. Absolutely. And, and you know, because it's the same. I mean, okay, as I said, it's not my, my position to do it. I would feel much more comfortable doing it uh, if I talk about the gay movement and mm-hmm. where does an, uh, emancipation lead, mm-hmm. basically. does eman- if, if emancipation is to lead to, you know, to gay dictators, do I want that? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 is the question, um, but as as an outsider watching this this discourse, yeah, uh, there is a. But it's, it's it's at the same time it's not an either or question because um, you can have like um, Le Pen and the after lady, and at the same time in Ireland, for example, you still don't have legal abortion. Anyway, should we move into a song? Yes, let's move into a song.
So, the time has come for one of our um, standard things to do in every um, in every show, show, every week, every week, every week. We talk about. Um, we have two things that mm-hmm. are standard, and we're gonna do them again today okay. on our thirteenth show. So, the next thing that we're gonna do is philosopher of the week. Aha, uh-huh. philosopher of the week. Philosopher of the week. <coughs> and this week's philosopher is a, a controversial figure. Have you chosen someone controversial? Yes. Sometimes you choose pe- controversial people. I do, sometimes. Why do you do that? Are you an edgelord? I am an edgelord, and also it's difficult to find people for every letter of the alphabet. I mean, M is not so difficult to find nam- oh. names starting with an M, surely. No, no, it's not. It's not. Although mo- most, most people start with a B, right? <laughs> the thing with, you know, it's... it's Haven't you noticed? Is is it true? It's true. B, the letter. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. That's the first time I heard. Anyway, go on. So, the philosopher of the week is uh, Herbert Marcuse. Marcuse? Why would you... Marcus. Why do you want to do a Marcus show? show? Marcus. I mean, this is so unhip. It's so unhip. Like, literally no one is talking about him. But I think many of the assumptions he brought into the kind of leftist politics are still very well alive and his legacy is still very kind of potent. So you you mean uh, you're you're, uh, going to talk to us about uh, something that he's done which is harm in your opinion? Mm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So he's the philosopher of the week as a shit philosopher. (sighs) I'm not like, you know, this manicaist thing. Oh, you can either be like Good or bad. Good or bad. Okay. So, I mean, he's a child of his times. Um, and I will... I think this this idea of... oh, I also have a personal story to do with Marcuse. Oh, I would love which to Which I will tell you afterwards. But t- t- as it's philosopher of the week, why don't you start... Uh, okay, first of all, he's one of the most influential philosophers of the 60s counterculture movements, and especially of the so-called sexual revolution. Uh, because... That can't be a bad thing. Well, <laughs> okay, go on, go on. I'm not going to stop you any he, longer. He brings together like Marxism and f- like Freudian theory for the first time. And this first encounter of the two theories is quite bad <laughs> because it's kind of creates some kind of essentialist assumptions about the human psyche. And w- he basically misreads Freud and he says, oh. So you mean takes Freud and makes it a bit Jungian? In a way, but without. <laughs> passing through Jung, which is kind of interesting. Okay. Um, uh, so basically he says, because Jung doesn't speak a lot about libido, whereas uh, Marcuse is all about libido. Okay. So all of these, like Freud or Marxists, like Marcuse, and to a certain extent Reich, uh, they have this theory that humans are uh, kind of oppressed by civilization, which is something Freud kind of tells kind of says in, in his work. But they think that um, there is a way for the human to be free from all this oppression, which is something Freud Whoops. doesn't say. <laughs> okay. um, so basically, Marcuse's like most seminal work is uh, Eros and Civilization. And he's basically saying that, yeah, if people live their f- like 
um, desire to the full extent, they will be free and happy. Like if they kill people and stuff. Well, he he says that this is that the natural desire of people is to love and to be g- not to kill. Not to kill. Another thing Freud doesn't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm obviously making a simplistic reading of Marcuse, but I, I think uh, yes, is, they do like the to legacy. fuck, but they also like to kill. And also, it's a very male kind of perspective on the world. So basically, it's free love is like men fucking as many women as they want. I think he's a bit homophobic too. I'm not quite sure if Marcuse or is more like of a Reichian thing. So I'm not gonna go <laughs> in detail on that. And then have a our listeners correcting you over email. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So, um, the legacy of Marcuse is uh, the, the, the radical left basically adopting sexual politics in their agenda, which was quite big. So, moving from, uh, you know, a focus on... In economy. Greece also. Yes, absolutely. Sexual politics in Greece. In a sense, yeah. Moving from, I mean, not to the same extent that the, the, the U.S. has... You mean the sexual politics of men going after women? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because I don't see any other, in, in Greece, especially in leftist politics, I don't see much more uh, the prevalence of, uh, of, an, of much more... Uh, okay. Until the queer movement I comes into play. I see what you mean, play. but for example, the idea that the middle class, the middle classes are op- like, oppressing themselves through morality and the, the radical leftists are beyond that because they go for camping. It's a Marcusian thing. <laughs> right. So you so if you're like doing if you're being a nudist, the fact that you think that this is ideologically superior to swimming with your swim tracks on, this is a Marcusian position. And you know something fascinating to me? Is one of uh, Marcuse's like most famous students is uh, Angela Davis. Do you know that? No. So Angela Davis, the very famous and important uh, black feminist philosopher, uh, part of the Black Panthers Party for many years uh, uh-huh. in exile, etc. Or also, I don't. I think she was in prison for a while. Um, so she is. Like a Marcusian, to so to to a certain extent, this kind of black fem like black liberation feminist feminism thought feminist thought is also influenced by an idea of uh, like radical freedom. Uh-huh. But obviously, because it comes from a different positionality, has different kind of also different kind of nuances. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's an interesting genealogy. I, I mean, it's it's interesting you say that because. Uh, I'll bring uh, I'll bring in now my personal story okay, because my my personal story and extremely little because I don't I I don't know much about Marcuse I, he was mentioned a little bit in cultural studies for sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because all these Germans are mentioned yeah but I don't remember much maybe I missed the the session I don't remember <laughs> um, but it let's just say it wasn't as hot as Ben Ben Benjamin, Benjamin and no, no, Adorno and so on. Um, He's the least hot of the yeah of, of this, this of this bunch. lot, yeah. and um, my, so my my own uh, personal story that uh, relates to Marcuse is a, a very, if anything, post-structuralist identity-wise <laughs> story. Yeah, um, the story begins in the uh, in Thessaloniki, in the <laughs> the uh, Greek Macedonia, the Greek Macedonia, uh, and uh, it involves. Uh, 
Growler, the gay bear app. Right. So one day I was at my friend's house and um, you know, the, the app works uh, with GPS. So you right. see next to you the, the... And I was complaining to my friend and I was saying, uh, well, I'm not going to find anyone to have sex with in Thessaloniki and uh, yeah. there's no bears here and everyone is lean and like Greek looking which annoys me and so on. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly... Tada, Marcuse. Growler, appears. Growler, yeah, in front of me. <laughs> Marcu- <laughs> Herbert ghost. Marcuse, 20 meters from you. <laughs> yeah, uh, essentially, I mean, it, it, I, it says 150 meters away, there is this, like, ginger cub. Okay. Like, and I'm like, the application must be broken. (laughs) 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 It was like, because it wasn't, they weren't, they didn't run for a very long time at that point. Right. So I thought, okay, it's broken. It shows, instead of showing someone from Texas, it shows someone from, instead of showing them, (laughs) they are in, (laughs) yeah, they are in Thessaloniki. (laughs) And then I write to this person, I'm like, are you real? (laughs) Like, are you really here? And then he says, "Uh, yeah, I am uh, in this hotel and, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, I come along. And then I, I went and had sex. And um, then he said, uh, and I said, oh, what do you do? And he said, I'm like um, a part-time rugby player. <laughs> As a hobby, I knit woolly jumpers and hats. Right. And I also do a PhD on Marcuse. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the Marcuse. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> Like, I was like, look, already this kind of ginger bear in uh, Thessaloniki is already a glitch to the system, if I'm using the term correctly. Right. I cannot comprehend the other elements that you've given me at that (laughs) point, because I think all of them are kind of extra elements of, uh, you know, identity complexity. Right. Um, Yeah, James. We we if can he's, uh, probably uh, find greetings. Uh, Should we say, I would say Greece. I would send him an email, but I'm afraid he will be like really furious with my <laughs> take on Marcuse. <laughs> yeah, probably. I didn't even read the Wikipedia page this time. So um, it's a bit. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Should we move into a song? Absolutely.
So we're back. We're back. The ABC of Ita here at Beton Seven Art Radio. The today's show is um, okay, isn't it? I'm having a good time. We started a little bit low, I think. I think we started really low, but we are catching up. Yes. Um, why did we start low? What was the first word? Uh, I think we were speaking on top of each other, and it was a bit difficult. No, I didn't mean that. I meant the first key. Ah, uh, memes. Memes. Was that, was that a bit boring? It was a bit boring, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think... You, I know what I've, you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that maybe yeah. when we're touching upon um, cool subjects, it's more boring than when we touch upon stupid subjects. Absolutely, absolutely. And the same with abstract versus... Maybe we have specific. our own modernist ghost within us. Something to do with our own sense of humor and how much... No, there is this expectation that if the if it's a cool word, you have something to say, but it's not true because obviously cool things are very contemporary and you don't have time to reflect and think on them. So maybe in 10 years I can tell you many things about memes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the next word is... The next word is Mercury. Mercury. Of what kind things. of word is this? Okay, first of all, mercury is the um, you know the mineral, one of the few minerals that are in liquid form while they are in room temperature. You mean the one that you put inside the thermometer. thermometers, and that people used to like playing with it, but it's very cancerous. Is it? Yeah. You're sh you're not supposed to touch it. No. <gasps> These little balls and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so good. I used to love breaking thermometers. That's why you're like that. <laughs> Thanks. But uh, people but used to take baths in mercury to treat... Um, how it's called this STD? Um, whatever. The one of the STDs. The, the big one that makes you mad. Syphilis. Syphilis, yeah. But now they take antibiotics. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. yeah. It's more effective. It's funny yeah. how you know all these people that are that they look at the past fondly and they're like, "Oh, with current civilization things are so bad and yeah. so on." Well, at least we don't swim in mercury <laughs> yeah. to cure syphilis. <laughs> anyway, um but you know, all these great poets had syphilis because it makes your brain funny. So, maybe it's it good, was good to have syphilis. <laughs> anyway, have uh, you read Rembo? Very good poetry. A lot of syphilis. But he had no. Actually, you're wrong because I am he only wrong. wrote his his uh, seminal works when he was a child. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. he had syphilis already. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. He was a promiscuous child. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway, um, Just a little bit. No, no, he didn't have syphilis. He was um, he was healthy. Then he went to Africa and he became straight. Did he? Yeah, yeah. He became straight. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He had a normal life. He he lived in a farm with his wife. And then he died from some other random, like. So illness. he went and uh, turned Verlaine, Verlaine gay? Yes. And then left. And became straight. <laughs> it's tragic. But Verlaine wrote some good poetry afterwards. Afterwards, because before it was kind of crap, huh? Yeah. But the remote didn't write anything afterwards. So it came with the gayness, the this particular yeah. gift of writing. Um, <laughs> what are we discussing, Mercury? <laughs> but what about so Mercury is like a mystical thing? So there is the very strange mineral that captured, captivated the um, imagination of people for centuries. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then there is the planet, the planet Mercury, like the one that goes retrograde and so on. So I. As people know, if they follow our show, we kind of like astrology sometimes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we definitely observe is the Mercury retrograding. Mm -hmm. Because it affects us, because we are both Geminis. Yes. And Mercury is our um, I like how uh, planet. Geminis uh, found this excuse for their... Being asshole. Horrible behavior. <laughs> and not only they found this excuse, but it's like it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, it it's not like the, the solar eclipse or something <laughs> like this. It's like... Uh, Three times oh, a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it lasts for like a month or something like this. So, oh, sorry, but you oh, have to excuse on. me. You have to excuse me because Mercury is, in, is retrograde. And... Um, Yeah, that's why I'm not behaving nicely and I'm unexpected and and moody. So there are two um, two signs that are particularly affected by this retrograde situation. One is the actual Mercury sign, Wait. and the other one is the aspiring Mercury sign. <laughs> so would you like it. to explain that? The actual Mercury sign is Gemini, right? As everybody knows. Gemini's are the most, what should I Everyone call them? Everyone knows. <laughs> the, the weirdest, most unstable, most um, relativist, in a way, star signs. Mm -hmm. And then there is the other star sign that has to do with Mercury. Mm -hmm. And that is Virgo's. And the big tragedy of Virgo's is this aspiring... To be. Mercury sign. Because on the one hand, they have this Mercury 
craziness. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, they like order and emotional stability because they are Virgos. That's difficult. So that's the tragedy of their lives. It's a bit like uh, imagine having holding a thousand helium balloons. Yes. You're looking at them all the time. They're ready to take you. But you have these huge prison balls that are just a little heavier than the 1,000 balloons can lift. Oh, no. That's really sad. <laughs> but the balloons never leave. They are always there. My so God. it's not like... You know, if you're Taurus, for example, right. there's no balloons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get on with your life in connection to the earth forever. No balloons. <laughs> no balloons. <laughs> and if balloons appear, you see one and you're like, I'm not interested, whatever. Yeah, 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 or yeah. I don't I don't think it actually existed. <laughs> but if you're a Virgo, they are constantly on top of your head, a thousand of them, full of helium. Imagine Close your eyes and imagine that picture. It's really tragic. I'm but the ball, the prison ball, does not go away. <laughs> I'm trying to figure and out... And not only does not go away, are you ready for this? I am ready. You have taken some acrylic paint and yeah. you have decorated the balls beautifully because oh, they no. used to be black and ugly. And then you made like little pink flowers on them. And now you're somehow attached to the balls also. Oh no. <laughs> it gets worse and worse. I feel really bad now. I cannot paint the Virgo picture, I think, any more vividly than what I have. I think you've, you've made, you've done a masterpiece. <laughs> Thank you. I was trying to figure out if Marcuse was, uh, what was his astrology sign? July 19th. Is that. Cancer. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> oh my god. Tragedy. And it's also cancer towards Leo. Oh no. Tragedy, tragedy. Oh. Um, yeah, so that's it. Um Yeah, it's cancer with actually Herbert Marcuse. There is a website with philosophers full chart, which is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that, okay. His moon apparently is in Leo. So this is where do you have anything else to say about Mercury or should Freddy we move Mercury. into a song? Freddie Mercury. Okay, let's, let's move go. into a song. Yeah.
So, this is the ABC of Itam. We're uh, we are approaching the last few things of really? the show. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel? I'm a bit tired. Are you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, there's not going to be much more talking. So you should only be. But singing. I, we we will. We have a couple more things to do. Okay. Um, should we go to the next uh, word, or oh. should we have the next category of things? Let's have a category. Okay. So I'm gonna say. Do you know what time it is? What time is it? Do you know what's what the time? What time is it? Poetry time. Aha. Uh-huh. Ah. It's poetry time. Poetry. Poetry time is um, a time in which we read poems. Really? Yes. From a um, poet of a particular, starting with a particular letter of okay, the... Okay, I'm not really happy with today's pick because I really like the poet. Uh, it's Stéphane Mallarmé, the French poet. Um, but the problem is that his mo- his best work is these amazing visual poems we cannot really kind of read because they're like supposed to be read by the audience. It's like the, they... Yeah, ma- obviously you can You don't have to explain things they that take you, we cannot read <laughs> visual poetry. <laughs> they take shapes and stuff. But I picked I picked this really beautiful poem called The Flowers. But maybe it's, uh, it's a really nice translation and maybe... It's worth reading. Uh, okay, I'll choose. I'll, 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 I'll give it a go. From golden showers of the ancient skies, on the first day and the eternal snow of stars, you once unfastened giant calyxes for the young earth still innocent of scars. Young gladioli with the necks of swans Laurels divine of exiled souls the dream. Vermilion as the modesty of dawns, trod by the footsteps of the seraphim. The hyacinth, the myrtle gleaming bright, and like the flesh of woman, the cruel rose. Herodiad, Herodiadi blooming in the garden light, See that from wild and radiant blood arose, and made the sobbing whiteness of the lily that skims a sea of sighs, and as it wends through the blue incense of horizons, palely, toward the weeping moon in dreams ascends. Hosanna on the lute and in the censers, lady and of our purgatorial groves, through heavenly evenings, let the echoes answer, sparkling hallows, glances of rapturous love. Mother, who in your strong and righteous bosom formed calyxes balancing the future flask, capacious flowers with a deadly balsam, for the weary poet withering on the husk. 
Um, really poetry, 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 poetry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I guess we like, don't often read poetry, poetry, poetry. Yeah, I think this is the most poetry we've. we've I tried at least to read it so that it's not like it doesn't have this huge rhyming thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, I don't understand why you're so into this, but maybe you can tell tell us a little I bit. I like the calmness of this flowery kind of poem. It's very flowery. It is like the most flowery poem like ever. <laughs> I don't know because William Carlos Williams has, has some like poems that is just about flowers. Yeah, but they're much like Actually, less flower. Yeah, in a way they are less flowery when they're they talk about flowers. Yeah, this is both because flowers are quite violent, aren't they? When and I think maybe Williams kind of uh, knew that uh, that yeah. when you actually describe flowers and their colors, yeah, it's a very violent gesture, and that's yeah. why he, if you remember, when I read the yellow poem. You know, he talks in very harsh words mm-hmm. uh, about yellowness of the flowers uh, dripping from uh, leaf to leaf. You know, it's not exactly camp. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But this is camp. I think every time men talk about their lust for women, it's the most gay thing ever. It's true. It's, like, it's especially like, when it's like roses and lilies and like, oh my God, go on grinder, <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like really, what's... What's the deal <laughs> with roses and shit? It's in- intense. It's quite intense. Yeah. Is it? Did they think that if they do that, they are in contact with some kind of feminine side or something? I mean, to be fair, like Mallarmé died before the twentieth century. <laughs> okay. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not talking about whether. You know, it has currency as a as a mm. poem in 2018, um, mm-hmm. or if it's dated. I'm, to- mm. I'm talking in general. Why, you know, why straight men like to do this kind of softy, softy? Yeah, at the time, yeah, he's obviously influenced by romanticism and stuff, but also, I think it's the Frenchness that makes things <laughs> a bit. Flaccid. It's very difficult. <laughs> Did you say flaccid? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Flaccid? I so follow what you're saying. I mean, Frenchness is such a flaccid thing. <laughs> from, the, it's, it's from the cheese. Intensely, <laughs> intensely unsexual culture. It's incredible. The, this this uh, how how could this nation have built a, an erotic uh, reputation? Reputation is uh, is beyond me, really, really. Uh, because it's like you know, eroticism is not sexual. If you want sexual, you go to Germany. <laughs> yes. So eroticism is what is the is postponing is the sex. Op- opposite postponing of sex. It's about longing and, you know, seeing flowers and thinking, oh, sex must be really interesting. <laughs> I see. You know. So. Perfumes. Ah, and they, they like perfumes oh, there. Don't they? And they prefer to smell cheese than to smell actual ass. Yeah. I see. Or feet. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Germans are like, look, cheese is good. But. But. Have you smelled them? Ripe, ripen, <laughs> asshole. 
This is the shit. <laughs> well done, Prevost. <laughs> uh, very high quality of this course in this show, as always. But this poem was 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 meant to, you know, become scatological. <laughs> yeah, come on, it's so flowery. When I read that, I was like, okay, we have to do this. The Hysianthi, how it's called, I can't read it even. Um, gladioli, <laughs> gladioli. Okay, gladioli is a little bit <laughs> difficult. It's a bit like barilla. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, fusilli, gladioli. farfalle, gladioli, and Berlusconi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's move into a song. You know, Italy is becoming a fascist state very rapidly. Have you heard? No, I haven't heard. Uh, it's you will hear soon. Okay, it's not. It's not good. Germany, uh, which is the the European Union's like brain and soul, mm-hmm. is upset. He's saying, hey, this is not going well. Yeah. Yeah. And we've done this mistake before. <laughs> before. So, so let's watch it. Let's and actually, you have done this mistake, <laughs> this mistake before. Also. But you are Italian, so people uh, forget. <laughs> people forget easily. Let's okay, move into let's move. After this casual Italian racism. <laughs> So we're almost uh, Hello? done. We, really? We take it another. I, I'd say let's let's do another two words. Okay. So, uh, have you thought of uh, what should be our next word? There are many many good words left. M is a uh, yeah. We knew that. We knew we knew that M will have. Uh, 
good words. Really? Didn't we? I think we did, yeah. So, what is the next word? The next word is... Metal. Metal. The music. The genre. Ah, like heavy metal. Heavy metal. Metal. Okay. Because uh, I thought you, you were saying meta. I have very little um, knowledge. It all comes from my brothers being metalheads. I didn't know your brothers were also metalheads. A little bit. I think people who like traditional music, yeah. they like metal. I mean, it's not... It's not. It's the same music, basically. It's folk, folk. There it's is the same music. I mean, okay, one can say that there are very many different types of metal. And there are different also different types many of traditional music. It's true. Um, I think they they share a lot of things. You're right. I mean, uh, there is this folklore mm -hmm. uh, fascination. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember, like my brothers had this like Iron Maiden. Um, Albums because I remember the really. It's called Iron Maiden. What? Didn't you know that? No, no, no. That we do, the R is almost totally silent. Why? It's not like irony. It's Iron. Iron Ma Maiden. Yes. Why? You have to ask your British boyfriend to help you in this because when I found out, it made me very angry and made me feel that I will never learn how to pronounce things in English ever in my life. True. I was once in a in a, the company of a, of um, metal heads, right? And I told them about that it's not pronounced Iron Maiden, and they were like, "That's not possible." And there is a song, and they say Iron Maiden, and I was like, "Okay, let's play." Let's it. And we song. played the song. Of course, there was no R whatsoever there. Oh, my God. They were devastated. They looked at the floor and stuff like that. <laughs> As I kept playing more and more examples of how the word is not pronounced, they were more and more what? quiet until after a little bit of quietness, someone said, I will still pronounce them Iron Maiden. <laughs> the Greek way. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, of course, darling, and that's why you like heavy metal in, you know, nowadays, <laughs> because you will always pronounce them like this. Um, yeah, that was my. And I remember that as a child, I was really kind of obviously attracted to the the album covers. They were really, you know, you like the campness of the album covers. Yeah, it's fantastic with horses and fire and, and like zombies and, zombies and like crazy creatures and stuff. But then I think. You know, my brothers are these kind of people who grew out of metal. <laughs> so it's kind of sad because there are many other people who don't. So there is this tension between the two groups, I guess. I think when metal is involved, it's always sad whether you grow out of it or not. It's it remains a, a sad uh, moment <laughs> of your of your life. So, but charming at the same time. Yeah, this adolescent masculinity. Um, yeah, and uh, fascistic romanticism. Yeah, um, isn't that cute? But I, there was a moment in my life when you know I had Kazan started downloading songs, and I downloaded downloaded like Tristania or something like something much more like melodic and. Kind I don't of know what Tristania is. Me neither. I don't know the genre. Something like goth metal is symphonic metal. Something like that. Like Paradise Lost. And I was like, mm, do I want to, you know, be that? And you answered? 
No. No. Because, you know, Kazai, you could only download a song at a time, and it should be something you really like, I think. Uh, so I moved to trip hop. That's a good move. <laughs> um, but I, I, it lacks identification. I couldn't be like a trip hop person. Not really, yeah. yeah. So I, completely bland w- movement, like I guess. Metal ga- gave that. Metal gives this amazing uh, identification on all. But what is your relationship with metal? You you like some Look, I grew things. up in the 90s yeah. and uh, the so-called alternative uh, music, right, which was uh, for example part of it was what they called grunge. Yeah. Was Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Stone mm-hmm, Temple mm-hmm. Pilots and stuff like that were basically metal. Mm-hmm. Musically they were metal. But because they very frequently came from bands that were uh, that had a similar uh, background as to what happened in post-punk, they came from art schools and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, they rejected, they like, they kept the metal structures, but rejected totally the metal aesthetic. Right. They didn't like from the very fact that they didn't have, for example. So, much, so many solos, or if they had guitar solos, they were on purpose very dissonant and stuff like that. To the lyrics that they had, for example, all of uh, 90s alternative music is intensely existential lyrics. Right. It's all about, uh, you know, they're not even about relationships or anything like that. It's about uh, the agony of the end of the world, basically. Mm-hmm. In all, 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 all these bands across the board. I see. And even, even uh, bands that used to be more metal-like, like Sepultura. In the 90s, they have their existential period also. So um, I grew up in this in this period where I sort of listened to metal, I guess, but without really identifying as met- as a metal person because it did, it wasn't metal. And the, and, the, and the people who used to like metal in the 80s, they did not like these bands. They used to call them phonies, or, or sometimes right, they like right. them. Sometimes they like them because they were, you know, these bands were like, I don't know, gay friendly, or uh, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. had they had these sensitive existential lyrics or whatever. They had very, very, very abstract covers. Mm. Uh, they had very arty music videos. It was, it's a different. It's a thing. different thing, and out of this, I think, relationship came. As a, the, the, I think I, I would say the grandchild of this was the Zeros uh, black hip hip black metal thing, I see, I which see. happened, which was a sort of oh, it's possible to use the tools of metal but do something aesthetically quite different. Right, right. Um, I wouldn't say overall I'm uh, I have a problem with metal. I quite like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the campness of it. Yeah. I think it's very hysterical and camp. Absolutely. Um, obviously, there are very many metal things that have an extremely conservative politically background. So it's, it's, to it's, say... It's, uh, yeah, as a lead. euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Nazis, rather. Whatever. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's cute. Um, my one strong memory of metal actually is when look uh, i just realized that we don't have time for another really s- i have a good story 
look, no, your story, what I, what I was going to say is we don't have time for another word. Oh, right. So your story is going to be the story with which we will close this oh, show. Oh, now the pressure is real. Is, um, are you, can you deliver? I will do my best. Okay, go on. So my brother used to listen metal music, as I said. So he had a metal like cassette in his, um, how it's called, the Walkman, which was, I think, in the early 90s. Yes. As you know. Uh, so the theologian of his school, uh, the teacher of religion, uh, found, uh, found this cassette because it was on his, like, I don't know, desk. Um, and she was really upset. And that she such a good kid would have that. Yeah. And she gave him two books explaining why metal music is sa satanic. Uh-huh. And the main argument of the books is um, how when you play them backwards, <laughs> you can listen to Satan. Not that they have Satan in most of the <laughs> <you know, laughs> <Yeah. laughs> covers and stuff. Um, uh, so I remember like loving this book so much as a child. I don't know why I found it so funny. I think it because it had these transcriptions from Greek uh, popular singers like Marinella. Uh, that says, like, if you play it backwards, it says, Satan is my savior and stuff. Yeah. And the idea of Marinella saying Satan is my savior, for some reason, resonated resonated so much. I would say <laughs> the, the moment you read that Marinella backwards is Satan, that formed your aesthetic. I think it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've read that book a million times. And this idea of Marinella as this satanic priestess is just like my aesthetic. Yes. It is my aesthetic. Okay. I think the story was good. I think we can say goodbye to our audience. <laughs> goodbye to our audience. And uh, see is, you in two weeks. It was brilliant having you around. If you go for swimming, have one for us too. What? Okay, <laughs> yes. And be careful. Don't eat too much before diving. Bye. Bye.
Oh.